So tonight we are talking about Jesus, surprise, Jesus as our Redeemer. And this is um, a really exciting topic for me, um, because the Lord has been revealing it over the past um, few months of of this redeeming quality of Jesus and who he really is as our redeemer. And the fact that he does redeem us, like how much worth he places on us in that, um, in that redemption. So I'm going to open this up in prayer and we'll get into it. So I thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And I thank you for um, exactly just what you did and how much you loved us and how much you cared for us. Um, just like Zach was talking about from the beginning of time, you knew us and um, and you longed for us and wanted us and wanted to make a way. And I thank you that you did make a way that we could be with you. So I pray tonight, Lord Jesus, your spirit would be here and it would be, um, and it would just be, it would be speaking um, truth to us, that your word would come alive, that you would open our eyes to more of who you are, that you would open us to your word and, um, and that we'd be able to see you in this, Lord Jesus. And would you... Um, would you just be so glorified by, um, by tonight and by um, and just, just pursuing you and focusing on you? In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get started, there are, there are two lies that come along with uh, Jesus as our Redeemer that I think can hinder us from understanding this concept um, of him as our Redeemer. And one a lot of it has to do with works. So the first one is that we have to do all of these things to be saved. And those of us in this room that are saved, we understand like, wow, it was not me, not by works so that no man can boast. But sometimes in the way that we share the gospel with other people or the way that we act, sometimes it can, it, it can show that, that lie in our life that we had to, to do certain things to, to be good enough for this salvation. And it's awesome that Zach shared what he did because that's the exact thing, that there isn't anything that we did to earn that salvation. It was all Jesus and him being the one that redeemed us, that purchased us. And the second one is that we might fully believe and understand, wow, it had nothing to do with me. Wow, God, you are awesome. You are powerful. And here I am. I'm so blessed. But then once we are in this Christianity, once we are saved, we have this mentality that we have to work to, to, to make him keep loving us or to stay saved or whatever it may be. So sometimes we feel like we have to work to, to stay good or to be a Christian or to, to show who we are um, as a Christian to others. And, and so we're going to kind of, we're going to see that in what we talk about tonight, just in the ways that those, where the enemy is just kind of tweaking the truth and he's, he's lying and, um, and he wants to bring us to that place of complete truth tonight. So we're going to start with a very famous book that's about redemption, and it's Ruth. Um, I love the book of Ruth. And so um, I'm just going to kind of give us a backstory of it, because we're going to get into Jesus and what he did. But basically, Ruth um, was a Moabitess, and she was married to, don't know his name. And so, but her mother-in-law was Naomi. She was also married. Um, and he, her father-in-law, um, Naomi's husband, died. Um, and then uh, Ruth's husband died, and her brother-in-law died. So Naomi's husband and her two sons died. Um, and she's just, she's distraught. And so they decide, they hear that Bethlehem, that there's um, a lot of provision. So they go to Bethlehem. Um, the two 
widowed women go with Naomi. Um, and so they go, and um, Naomi even tells them, you know, don't go with me. I can't even give you sons. Like, there's no one that can, you know, that can be your husband. And they both stay with her, and they go, and then Naomi says it again, and she goes, really? Go back to your families. Just leave this. Just leave me alone. Um, she's really upset. And so there's this awesome verse. It, it really touches my heart. It's in Ruth 1, um, verse 14, and it says, she had just told them, please leave. And so um, they go, at this, they wept aloud again. So they've already wept a lot about this. They wept aloud again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and then Ruth clung to her. It didn't just say that Ruth stayed with her. It said that Ruth clung to her. And then it, it goes on, and, and Ruth is like, you know, wherever you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. You know, your people are my people. Your God is my God. And there's just this, there's just this attachment that she has to Naomi, and she sees something there. And so there's this faithfulness and loyalness that's in Ruth that we see. And so it continues on, and so she goes into the field. She meets Boaz. Um, Boaz is um, what they call a kinsman redeemer. He's a close relative. He's someone who is able to, to purchase and, and keep that name um, going. And so, but he's not the closest relative, so there's this whole back and forth. Um, but eventually, Boaz and Ruth get married, and they have a son. And, um, and they, there's this whole thing with Naomi, and, and all of the women are like, wow, this is so awesome. Look how the Lord provided. Um, and that son, his name is Obed. Obed? Obed. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, this is one of those stories where, where it's this shadow of what's to come. It's this shadow, it's this picture of Jesus and how he can redeem. And, um, and even greater redemption than Boaz, because Boaz just redeemed this, this family, this family name, but Jesus redeems all of his people. And so um, there are just some similarities that I caught in it, so I'm going to go through those really quickly. Um, the first is that Christ is Boaz in the story, and, and they're, they're both a guardian redeemer. And so just as Boaz um, did, Christ purchased his church to be his bride. And so just the way that Boaz purchased Ruth to be his bride, Christ does the same thing with his church. And um, the word, or the name Boaz means ability. And um, so the Redeemer, he had to have this ability to redeem. He had to have the money. He had to have the title. Um, and so, and he had to be free of debt. He himself couldn't have debt. And so Christ, who was our Redeemer, um, he had to be free of debt. He had to be free of sin. And that is what he did when he came and, and lived this perfect life as Jesus and as our God and as man. And so, um, and continuing on, there's a cool moment in Ruth 2 where he talks about um, that Ruth and Boaz were, eating, Boaz were eating together and they dipped bread and wine and vinegar. And this should remind us of Christ and the communion that we have with Christ, this closeness, um, this, this breaking of bread with him and the fact that he, he gave his body and his blood for us. And you can read about that in Luke 22 where Jesus does that. Obviously, this narrative, it, it plays out in Bethlehem, which is really cool because that's where Christ was born. And then also, this one is probably one of the, the coolest that I really saw was that Boaz, he helped the helpless. And, um, and there was just this, he brought restoration to this family, to, this, to these people. And that is what Jesus does. He does it physically. We see him in the Bible all the time, healing and helping. But he also helps the spiritually helpless. 
And that is that redemptive quality. He helps the spiritually helpless, um, those that are enslaved to sin. He brings them forth um, into, into this family, into this life. And what is so cool is that Ruth and Boaz are in the lineage of Jesus because Obed had um, a son and his name was Jesse. And then Jesse had a son. His name was David, King David. Um, so now in the line, the lineage of Jesus, we now have a redeemer. We have a king, which we just learned about last week. So there's just this cool um, heritage that we can see of Jesus going all the way back, you know, hundreds of years back to Ruth and Boaz. So um, I just want to kind of give us that picture. There's that awesome foreshadow of what Jesus was to be for us. And, um, and so I kind of want to touch on a few things about, um, about Jesus as our Redeemer. And the first one is, is that he forgives our sins, right? So Redeemer means to purchase or more literally purchase back, meaning at one point we had to have been his and we weren't his and then we were purchased back. And so in Ephesians 1, if you want to go to Ephesians 1 with me, is verse 7 and 8. Um, it says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So one, he is our redemption. This is a verse that clearly points it out. It says, we have redemption through his blood. Whose blood? Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross for us. Um, and that his, his redemption is, is this, this forgiveness of sin. So that blood was the payment for our debt. So he paid for us with his death um, and with that blood that was poured out. And so his purchase then allows what? It says his redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So the purchase, that redemption, the redemptive quality of Jesus, it'll, it's this purchase that allows the forgiveness of our sins. And then I love how it ends. It says, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so there's this, it's God's grace that allows us this forgiveness, right? Because Christ didn't have to come and do that. We could have stayed separated from him, but he had this desire, this longing to be with us, to be close to us, and he had to make a way for that. And so um, if we think about our lives, how gracious are we? Because in Romans 5, it says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so while we were still enemies, he loved us enough to die for us. And so um, sometimes it's really hard for me to to have grace on people that while they are still not my friend, while they're still hurting me, while they're still, um, you know, angry at me, while I'm still really hurt, um, to have grace and to be gracious. And that is what Jesus did for us. And by his redemption, by him bringing us into the family, by purchasing us, we now have that ability to, because we didn't have it before. Who loves being nice to somebody who's angry at them? It's not the easiest thing to do. But, but with his help, with Christ in me, I had the same grace that was poured out here, that redemptive quality of Jesus. I have that, and I can do that. I can restore relationships. Not me. Christ through me can restore relationships that in the flesh shouldn't be restored. They shouldn't be 
they, sh they shouldn't be mended. But Jesus is always about unity. Him and, and God and the Holy Spirit, the, they're all about unity and unity in the body. And, um, and so there's this, this redemptive quality of Jesus for us. But then now that we have been forgiven of our sin, we have this ability to do that with others too. So that's number one, forgiveness of sins. The next is that um, there's the forgiveness of sin, which is a little different. In, if you want to go to 1 Corinthians 15 with me, it says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those, oh, I'm sorry, verse 20 through 24. Um, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ we will be made alive. But in each turn Christ, the first fruits, then he comes, those who belong to him, and then in the end, um, the end will come with the hands over the kingdom of God to the Father and has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. I added the last verse because it's awesome. Um, he will destroy all dominion and authority and power um, of the enemy in those last days. And so, but what we see here is this picture of, of Adam, and he is the first man. Um, and we all know that sin was brought into the world by Adam and Eve. And so there's this picture of Adam brings death. So then we have to have somebody who brings life, and that is Jesus. And so it says, for in Adam all die, so as in Christ, all will live. And so we have to see this picture of Adam was a man. And so we, this is a clear picture of how Jesus, Jesus had to be a man as well to bring that redemption. Because um, if he wasn't a man, then there wasn't anybody to pay my debt. Um, and it had to be this man that came to, to, to pay this debt, to pay this, um, this, this sin that Adam has brought into the world because it doesn't matter if you have never sinned or if you sinned every day of your life. There is this this sin. There is this barrier, this block from us and God, and um and and we had to have that debt paid. We had to have that purchased back for us. And so um, that is that is what Jesus did because he lived perfectly on the earth, and he wasn't just he wasn't born in this. He was born through Mary, but he was he was also God, and so there's this this element of him being both man, fully man, and fully God. That it was a full payment to Jesus or to um, to God for our sin, and so this kind of hits the first lie. If we think about it, there really is not enough good that we could ever do in and of ourselves to please God before we're before we're saved, right? There's nothing that we can do that will please him enough. Um, I always love when Pastor Mike talks about it because it's this, this sin that I've committed or this sin. It's, it's an infinite offense to an infinite God, right? Because sin to him is infinite. And a finite man can't pay for that sin. So we'll be paying it over and over and over and over again. And it will never be paid. And so there is just nothing that, that we can do. And so Jesus comes along. And he says, you know what? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like in um, like an old Western. Think about it. Um, you know when there's like the, the evil man and he comes and he steals the damsel in distress. And, um, and maybe, you know, damsel in distress 
did a few things that were wrong. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to throw him, throw her in prison. And he treats her way worse than really what, you know, what she was doing. But he was treating her horrible. She's in prison, and she, she deserves it. She deserved to be in prison. And then along comes the, the cowboy, right? And he's all like, oh, I'll save her. And, um, and so he comes, and he comes into the prison. And he goes, let her go. And he goes, no, there has to be someone who has to pay for this, this, and this, and this. And he goes, fine, let her go. Let me go into her place. And he lets the girl go, and then he takes her place. And this is that, that picture of Jesus. He goes, yeah, they deserve it all. <laughs> they do. I deserve none of it. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm, I'm God. I lived this perfect life. I, there's nothing that I have done to deserve the punishment of all of their sin. But I love them enough. I care about them enough. I want them and I desire them enough to say, let me take their place. And, um, and we have to see this love that God has for us. We have to see the love that Jesus has for us to be able to do this for us. And this is why he's our redeemer. This is why he gets this title, because he paid for us. He purchased us. He, he took our place. And one of my favorite hymns is, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And um, it's just a beautiful picture. And I love where the Spirit of the Lord is, the third verse. It talks about that redeeming quality of Jesus. And I just, I love it. I love it. So let's see. Yes, we're being purchased, right? So... So what? We get purchased out of this life of sin. We get pulled out. But where, where does it take us? Where do, do we just kind of sit here and we're like, yeah, we're in the middle ground. Woo, we don't have to do anything anymore. No, there's this. Uh, we're being purchased out of slavery and into something else. So I want us to look at Galatians 4. This is where it gets exciting. Galatians 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, and you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. I love this passage. So he's, he's, and let me just read this to you. You don't have to go back there, but Ephesians, back to Ephesians 1. I didn't read this part because I wanted to save it for this part. Um, right before verse 7, so verse 7 again was, in him we have redemption through his blood. But verse 5 says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. I just read it in a different version. But, so there's this correlation that he talks about of we're coming out of slavery, we're being purchased, and we're being adopted as a child of God. So I'm adopted. And sometimes we can kind of think of adoption, and it's, we obviously have adoption in this world, in our culture. It's so a lot of times adopting a child that's an orphan or something's, you know, going wrong. So we, we adopt that child and they become a part of our family, you know, so that they have a, a family to, to be loved in, um, to have a home, to be able to have food and drink. And that's an awesome picture of adoption. And I think part of that we see here by the fact that God wants us to be in his family. But 
he is talking, Paul, when he writes about adoption in his time, there were different aspects to adoption than what we have now. So, and they would have understood this when they saw the word adoption. So I'm going to go through some of it because it's really cool. I've been studying a lot about adoption. And there's this process. The Jews didn't really have adoption because it was if the, you know, the head of the household died, the next man in the house took the place of the head of the household. But for the Romans, they had a lot of different things. This is just one aspect of it. Um, I read there were, there, were different, there were different ways that they did it. But this is one of the ways that was pretty common for them. And so it was always uh, more serious and a more difficult process for them because really what they wanted was somebody to, um, to kind of be the next in line in their family. So if I didn't have a son and I wanted somebody, well, if I was a man, and I wanted somebody to take on, you know, my name, then I would adopt somebody. And sometimes they would be a child. Sometimes they were 20, 25, so that they would have somebody in their family that would that would continue on their their name, and so there's this really there's this this picture of it's going from the possession of one father to the possession of another father, and we can see that in our in our picture of Jesus in our life because we get pulled from this this life, this dominion, this power that's over us of Satan. And he pulls us into this life. He, he brings us into this life of, of him and of being his, his daughter. Basically, so it's this, this passing of one control to the other. And so there are two steps. The first is this symbolic sale was made. So the first father, what he has to do, I'm not saying this is what happens with us, but this is what they would do. They would symbolize this giving over of control by selling the son, and then he would buy him back. And then the same father would sell the son and he would buy him back. And then he would sell the son for the third time and would not buy him back. And that this was this, sim- this symbolically of showing that he no longer has power over this son. That there was this, and I'm not saying this is what happens. I'm saying this is, Jesus had to purchase us three times. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But um, there's this symbolism of complete power. There's no more power that this, this father has. And then what has to happen is this father has to come and he goes before the, um, the Roman magistrates and he has to legally present a case of why he should be able to adopt this son. And then after all of that is over, he is now in this new family and has no ties to this old family. You know, there, I'm not, it's not straightforward us, but there's this complete distinction of we are no longer, there is no connection to this old life, to this old um, family, if you want to call it that, this old dominion that we had. We are now in this new family, and we are fully his daughter. We are fully God's daughter. Three things basically happen as a result of this. So one, um, the adopted person lost all rights to his old family, and he gained all the rights and was a fully legitimate son. So for us, a daughter, into the new family. So we just kind of talked about that. In the most literal sense, it's the most legally binding way. Um, when he got a new father, it was absolutely the son of the new father. So we would absolutely, no matter what, be the daughter of our king, of God. Number two, it followed that he would become the heir of the new father's estate. So 
even if this father, he adopted the son and then had children, had boys after him, this adopted son was considered his first son and would be the heir. And, um, and he would be co-heirs with the other sons. And so there was nothing that could, it's just, it's showing that complete, you know, adoption wasn't just like, you know, sometimes people who are adopted can feel like, oh, I'm the, the black sheep of the family. They don't really love me. I'm not really theirs. But there is no distinction in this. They are a son of that father. We are a daughter of God. And then the third thing is in, in the law, the old life that was adopted, um, the, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. So if there was any debt, for instance, in their old life, when they come into this new life, there is nothing that follows them. There's not one thing that follows them into this new life. Um, there is no calling that old man your father. It is completely wiped out. And so it's this picture, and we see this, I love in Colossians, it says, put off your old self and put on your new self. There is nothing that, can, that should carry on with us. There's nothing that, that can tie, to, uh, tie us back to that old life. It is completely cut off. It says the adopted person was regarded as a new person entering into a new life, um, which he passed, which the past had nothing to do with it. So there's this, this separation of these two lives. And so for us, like, this is, this is definitely a picture of our old life and then our new life with Christ. And there's, there's nothing. And I just, I felt when I read that, that that was for us, that there is nothing that is in your old life, in your past, that can hinder you from this life with Jesus, in this new life, in this family with all of us. That there is nothing that can, that has a right to, to pull you back. There's nothing that's over you anymore. Does that make sense? I mean, sometimes we can feel like we get pulled back to the old life, but there's nothing that has power over you from that old life. So also what I thought was very interesting, if a, if a child was born, it was my biological son, and I didn't want him, or, you know, they're just, we weren't getting along, whatever the case may be, and I didn't want him anymore, I could disown him. I could disown my son. But because it was I mean, it was my choice, but there was this, I don't know, it, they would allow that. They would allow a disowning. So, but what could not happen is if I was adopted into a new family, because that I was freely chosen by them, because I was desired by them to be in my family, they could not disown me. They could not disown me. The only way, the only way would be if me as the child chose to not be in the family anymore and um and I could walk away and there's this picture of of God that there's this security in being in his family and this goes back to our our second line right that we have to do all these things to stay like please keep me please keep me in this family don't kick me out there is none of that because now in this new family he freely chose us he purchased us he brought us in by Jesus and by his blood and so now we are in this family we are co-heirs with Christ we're in this family, and there is nothing, nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Except myself walking away, right? So that, that can happen. But, um, but there is, I love that passage, angels nor demons, heights, depths, nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God. So realize that. Realize now you are in this family, and you are so loved by Jesus, and you are so loved by God and how much he loved you 
in this, in this adoption, in this redemption for you. So basically, once we were in this absolute possession of sin, in absolute control of, of our human nature, but God, but Jesus in his mercy, he brought us into absolute possession of himself through the purchase of us. Right? So this old life was no more. It had no right over us. In the beginning of a new life, it was with Jesus and it was with God. So let us go now to Romans 8, 15. Is it still, this is still about adoption and about being redeemed, um, being brought into this new life. So Romans 8, 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by we, we cry, Abba, Father. And earlier it said that by the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. So it's a cool picture. The spirit and us, we cry, Abba, Father, together. The spirit through us. The spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are children of God. Children's? That we are God's children. <laughs> Um, now we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So one last thing, trick to you, there's one more, more thing about Roman adoption. So this adoption ceremony that was carried out um, was in the presence of seven witnesses. And so if the father died or if there was any kind of you know, dispute that came about about this adoption. Was he really an heir? Like, did, did he really get adopted? One of the seven witnesses would have to come forth under oath, say, yes, there was this adoption. It did happen. Um, and that is legitimate and it is true. And so here, Paul is, Paul is touching on it. He's saying, the Holy Spirit is our witness to our adoption into this family of God. So we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit in us. And so he is this, this witness to us, right? And so there's this this element of having Christ, having Jesus, having the Spirit in us, that in this new life, he, he's, our, he's our witness. It says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Um, so, we're going to kind of end this a little bit. So Titus 2 says this. Sorry for all of the verses, but I love them all. Okay, I'm just going to write it in here. Um, for the Titus 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So we can see here, again, this is, this is hitting that lie, that second lie that, you know, we can see that it's not good works that keeps us as a child of God, right? But it, it's saying here that we're eager to do good, that we're eager to do good things. But Christ in us, being that co-heir, Christ in us, he himself who purchased us, he is working through us. And there's this, this love. He loved you so much. He purchased you, he redeemed you, he brought you with him into this family, and then we just are in complete awe of him. And, and earlier when it said forgiveness of sins, that we've turned away from that, and we are following Christ, and we are saying, yes, I love you, I love you, I love you. And out of that love comes the good works, right? Comes that eager to do 
what pleases him, eager to do it. But that isn't what saves us, right? It's not, I want to do good things so that you'll love me or so that I'll love you. But there's already a love relationship there. And it's just me showing him this love. It's the out of the overflow of the mouth speaks. It's the same way out of the overflow of my heart, I'm doing things for him. And, um, and it says he's predestined good things in advance for me, right? In Ephesians 2, I love that passage. Meredith talks about it, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. At the end of it, it says that he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. And so we, we do things. So don't get me wrong from earlier saying, oh, I don't have to do anything. We do good works because if the, the good tree will produce good fruit, right? Um, but it doesn't work. It's not the good fruit that makes the tree good. The good tree produces the good fruit. So it's out of our love for Christ that these works are done. Um, I, I just wanted to, as we were, as I was talking, I wanted to share the beginning of Romans 8. I wasn't going to, but this says there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, because it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. For he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those of us today, if you feel condemned, if you feel like, wow, like I'm, I'm trying to do all these things, but he just doesn't love me, or wow, like I'm so sinful, I should probably just go back over here because that's where I'm supposed to be, right? Um, he says, no, now there is no condemnation. There is nothing that Satan can accuse you of any longer because he has no right to you anymore. You have full rights in this kingdom with Jesus because of this redemption, because of he, he made you righteous, right? Because, because God, if Satan tries to accuse, what does he see? He sees his son, he sees Jesus, he sees his blood, Word out, it says the, the verse in Titus said, um, he redeemed us of all wickedness to purify us, to purify for himself a people that were his very own. And that is what he wants. He wants this, this purchase, this adoption to happen. And he wants you to be fully, fully in his kingdom.